2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting reading at verse 7. This is God's word. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen. We'll end our reading there at verse 8. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Well, I'm going to pray for us now as we come to think about these verses together. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray now as we seek to understand these words together that you would give us that supernatural ability which comes only through the power of your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and to strengthen the faith that we have 
in our hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and for his eternal glory. Amen. Well, I'm sure, folks, that uh, many of you are aware that the Maguire family have a knack of choosing the wettest week in the summer in which to take our holidays. This past summer was a bit of an exception. We got great weather, but it actually it marks a break with a long-standing tradition of the Maguires trying to make the best of the situation while putting up with the rain. We are accustomed to packing coats and welly boots when it comes to our summer vacation. One of the worst we ever experienced was a summer whenever I was working as assistant minister in Railway Street. We booked our tent into a campsite on the north coast. Three nights under canvas and it rained for three nights and three days, non-stop. In many ways, it was biblical, the rain that week. It's important you know something about our tent. Our tent, uh, listen, I'm a romantic, what can I say? Our tent was bought as a first anniversary gift uh, by me for my wife back in 2008. So by the point we're talking about in Port Rush, the tent was 10 years old or so. It had seen a fair bit of use, both from us as a family, but also uh, by youth groups that Kate had been leading and taking away in the tent. So it's fair to say the tent had seen better days. It was full of holes. And during that holiday, I actually tied a ground sheet over the top of the tent to try and stop the rain getting in. The, the caravanners must have been looking down their noses at us. One point, I remember being in the toilets in Bob and Bert's in Port Stewart, trying to use the hand dryer to get our clothes dry and to get a wee bit of warmth into our bodies. It was miserable, a miserable holiday, but at least there weren't any midges uh, eating us that holiday. When we packed up and were leaving the campsite, we stopped by the bins on the way out and we left the tent behind. (laughs) It was a sad but necessary decision. No tent can last forever. And so we come to our passage this evening. In chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, how does Paul describe the human body? As a tent. A tent. A few verses before, chapter 4, verse 7, he describes our bodies as earthen or clay vessels. And the point Paul is making, although it is difficult to hear, is actually plain for us. These bodies which we live in, which we call home, well, they're not getting any younger. No tent can last forever. Eventually, even with a bit of patching and repair work, they will run beyond their usefulness. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know here, am I? If you're here this evening and you haven't got any aches and pains, just wait. They're coming. I'm assured they get worse. I try my best to eat healthily. I try my best to exercise. 
but there is no escaping that I have more pains and more aches today than I did whenever I was 20 and I cared nothing about healthy eating or exercise. So Paul gives us, I think, plenty of realism in this passage. Our bodies are like clay pots. Useful, useful for many things, but we all know what happens eventually to a clay pot. It gets cracked. It is fragile. And most likely one day it will break. No tent can last forever. But I'm sure that you noticed as we read through this passage that far from being a depressing passage about the frailty of the human body, Paul actually writes with great encouragement. He writes with great hope in this section of 2 Corinthians. Look at verses like chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are hard pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See the hope, the encouragement. What about verses 16 and 17? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then chapter 5 verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Aren't those marvellous words of comfort? Great comfort to us, aren't we encouraged? We feel the aches, we feel the pains in these bodies, but these bodies aren't going to last forever. Yet we have hope. We have hope despite the fact that our bodies aren't going to last forever because we are more than just our bodies. There is more to you than just your body. I think it was Brian Cox who I heard say this. I think it was Brian Cox. You'll know Brian Cox, a a former musician in the band D-Ream, now better known as a a physicist. He's, He's often on television representing a scientific point of view. And I think it was him I heard say this. He was speaking about the human soul and he denied the existence of the human soul. He said, you could cut through my arm and you would find bone and marrow, sinew and joint, muscle, blood and tissue, but nowhere in there would you find a soul. That's what he said. And that's how many people think. They think that this world The world we know through our five senses, the things that we can see and touch and taste and smell and hear, people think that's all there is. These people claim to have the backing of science. Their claim is that there is no more to the world than the material, the material world. And so when speaking about things that we cannot see, things like love, Or justice. Well they'll just explain them away. It's just a chemical reaction. That we have in our brains. 
usually due to some evolutionary development in human beings. But the Bible says something different. The clear teaching of the Bible here in 2 Corinthians is different. And I hope that we can see here that there is greater hope, greater assurance in the word of God than there is in the words of Brian Cox. I think the key to this whole section in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5 is chapter 5 verse 7. A verse which teaches us a lot about the Christian faith in just a few short words. You see verse 7? For we walk by faith, not by sight. What God's word is telling us this evening is that there is more to the world than the things that we can see. We are more than our bodies. As human beings, we are created in the image of God to know him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever. And so there is an eternal aspect to each one of us. If we're to do something forever, then we must be people who have an everlasting aspect to who we are. And so we as Christian people claim that there is more to life than just the things that we can detect with the five senses. We claim that a human being is more than just a bunch of atoms crammed together into the shape of a body. We claim that there is something to each one of us that we cannot see. But nonetheless, it is real. We claim that we are a body and soul united together. The thing that we might call a soul is referred to by Paul here in chapter 4, verse 16, as the inward man. And so we claim with Paul that the Christian life is lived by faith and not by sight, at least for now in this life, until Christ comes again or he calls us home to be with himself. And so in the space of time we have remaining this evening, I want us to think about what that means. What does that mean for us to walk by faith and not by sight? And especially as it relates to communion, to participation in the Lord's Supper. Firstly, I want to think about the word faith itself and how it helps us to understand how to live in this world. And secondly, then we'll turn to think about what place the Lord's Supper plays for those who walk by faith. One of the most famous verses in the whole Bible about faith is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And you'll know this verse. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And of course, that totally agrees with what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. As I was preparing for this evening, I read one commentary that pointed out in that verse, Hebrews 11, the word substance does not mean reality. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's a difference between the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. We know that today we walk by faith and not by sight. One day, we will walk by sight. There will be a day when we see our Saviour face to face in light and glory. 
And that indeed is the great hope of the Christian faith. But it's not the reality for us yet. So if it's not the reality, what does faith actually mean for us? What does it mean that faith is the substance of things hoped for? Well, the commentator put it this way. He said it's more like the title deeds of things hoped for. If you are holding the title deeds for a piece of land or property, well, then you're not actually holding the piece of property in your hands, but it is surely and certainly yours. You've got the title deeds. The commentary goes on to say this, a man who has true faith possesses the title deeds of eternal realities. The conviction and proof That these realities, though unseen, can be a living and effective power in this life. And so it is that we as Christian people, we have a claim to the most outrageous blessings and benefits in all the universe. By faith we have the title deeds to all the blessings and benefits of Christ. Everlasting life is ours. We have been chosen and adopted into the family of God. We are justified, sanctified and even glorified through faith in Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that all those blessings come to us. We don't have the title deeds because of anything in us. We are not like lords or ladies inheriting land. No, rather, we are poor beggars who have been given the keys to the kingdom through our union with the king. We're a day late, uh, but it's worth mentioning this, that the 31st of October is a day when many people across the world celebrate the rediscovery of biblical Christianity during the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. They celebrate it because that is the day on which Martin Luther uh, strode across the square in Wittenberg and he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church. Let me give you an illustration then from Martin Luther. Luther pictured salvation like a marriage. He spoke about a poor, wicked harlot who married the king. And immediately upon their marriage, what does she become? She becomes the queen. At the wedding, a a wonderful exchange takes place. The, The king takes on all of the shame, all of the debt of the bride. And what does she receive? She receives all of his wealth and royal status. Luther writes this. Christ is full of grace. Life and salvation. The soul is full of sins, death and damnation. Now, that's what Luther says, now let faith come between them. And sins, death and damnation will be Christ's. While grace, life and salvation will be the soul's. Do you see? The faith that unites us to Christ 
By faith we receive all the blessings and benefits of salvation. Faith is not the reality, it is the title deeds. Jesus is the reality. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. What do we do? We throw aside all of the sin, all of the temptation, all of the desires of this life. And instead we walk in step with our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Following on from that definition in Hebrews 11, the definition of faith. The writer of Hebrews goes on to recount for us many stories about the saints of old throughout the Old Testament. You'll know Hebrews Chapter 11, no doubt. The story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Samson and David. He describes them as witnesses to us in our faith. And then he goes on at the start of chapter 12 to utter these famous words. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Friends, Jesus is the object of our faith. And so to walk by faith and not by sight is to put aside the sinful desires, to to not let the the things of this world like success and wealth and power, not to let those entangle us, not even to let the stresses and strains of living in bodies which are wearing out, don't let that hold us back. Instead, we hold loosely to the things of this world and we strain towards the finish with our eyes firmly fixed on Christ. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, just at the end of that chapter, he said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. The affliction of this body, the affliction of, of every day waking up and being tempted by sinful desires, he says, that is but for a moment. And it's working it for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There is glory waiting for us. There is a day when faith will be turned to sight. And this this eternal weight of glory, a glory that is too big and too heavy for us to even get our arms around it. The glory of being with Christ. Knowing him fully, even as we are fully known. What does all of that have to do with the Lord's Supper? It's not enough for me to say that it has everything to do with the Lord's Supper. Let me try and explain this briefly. I'll I'll be saying more about it on Sunday. Paul has taught us this evening that our bodies are clay vessels. They are tents which are coming apart at the seams. We're living in these bodies which are wearing out from day to day. But Paul also gives us hope. He says we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward man, these bodies are wearing out. 
but through grace in Christ. The inward man, our eternal soul, well, those are being renewed day by day. I'm sure you've heard people say none of us are getting any younger. And that's true whenever we talk about our bodies. But while they're not getting younger in terms of time or experience, our souls are actually being renewed. Our souls are actually being renewed by the Lord Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit. We could think about verses in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Or we could look to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't it wonderful to hear that? That even though our bodies are perishing, our souls are being renewed and strengthened. So the question is, how? How does that happen? We know there are certain things that we do with our bodies to to try and push back the aging process or, or slow it down a bit. Healthy eating, exercise, There's medical intervention, things like hip or or knee replacement surgery, cataract operations, all of those wonderful things. But none of them actually reverse the aging process. They cannot renew us. And yet God's word assures us tonight that the inner man can be renewed day by day. And there's a number of means that God uses to accomplish this in us. He strengthens our faith. He assures us of eternal salvation through Christ. The Shorter Catechism calls these the ordinary means of grace. That doesn't mean they're ordinary in the sense of boring or common. Rather, that these are the ways that we can expect God to work because he's promised to do so. The ordinary means are the reading and preaching of God's word, prayer, and you guessed it, the sacraments. The Lord's Supper. So that means what we come to do on Sunday morning, when we we take the Lord's Supper together through faith in Christ, is that we are actually being renewed. We, We are receiving all those blessings and benefits from Christ once again. There are things happening in us that we can't see. A tiny piece of bread. A thimble full of wine. They would never satisfy any physical hunger or thirst. But in the supper, Christ is nourishing his people. He is renewing us in the inner man. We are being strengthened so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord's Supper is an act of faith. It's something we do with these, free, these, these weak and frail bodies, but which by faith gives us strength. It gives us strength to run the race onto eternal life. And we're going to think more about that on Sunday. For now, let me pray for us.